marijuana, pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis. Cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than 10 years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter-approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment and legalization go up in smoke? (coughs) Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry. The activists. The medical professionals. The legislators. The economists. The regulators. The lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on the Coin Podcast Network. If there's one thing that Oregon isn't lacking, it's dispensaries. From the Green Mile to just about every small town or burg, there is a store selling recreational and medicinal cannabis. In what could seem like a saturated market, with tax burdens and banking challenges that eat away at the bottom line. What does it take to grow the largest chain of cannabis dispensaries in Oregon? What were the biggest hurdles? How was the staff trained? What did they learn along the way? And what challenges do they continue to face. This week, we speak with the Director of Retail Operations for Nectar Markets. You're listening to Mainstream Media. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin 6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. To learn how Nectar Markets became the largest chain of cannabis dispensaries in Oregon, we sit down with Joe Ruhoff, their Director of Retail Operations. Joe, What led you to the cannabis industry? What was the path that you took to get here? I I grew up in Southern Oregon. It's always been a near and dear plant to myself and the community. I spent a lot of time in the food and beverage industry here in Oregon and in Austin, Texas. And I moved back in 2014, stayed in food and beverage and had the opportunity to get into the legal cannabis market in 2018 with Nectar. We've just been going and having a lot of fun and seeing a lot of crazy nonsense since then, for sure. When you moved back in 2014, was this an industry that you wanted to maneuver into or were you tapped for your food and beverage industry experience? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I still have a large passion for food and beverage. You know, I still aspire to one day if things work out, maybe start in a little shop. But I've always been intrigued and supportive of the movement that's been going on here since I was in my teens. And the opportunity did present itself from, you know, some of my skill sets I had acquired over time and multi-unit management and working with commissions in different states. 
And I saw a lot of room for growth personally and professionally and learning how to scale at a different level. And it's been an amazing experience. And we've learned a lot and we're going to continue to learn every single day. Coming from Southern Oregon, culturally, was the plant viewed differently down there than up here in the northern part of the Willamette Valley? You know, it's hard to say because by the time I moved back, it had kind of opened up. And, you know, a lot of people were doing in Portland backyards what they were doing on the farms in Applegate and Illinois and the Road Valley for all those years. So I think a lot of the normalization was starting to kick in, the comfort, not being overwhelmed by the smell every September and October. And I think it helped make it a little smoother than, you know, some other states have experienced. And even in, you know, the areas in which there's more opposition to the whole big picture of what a cannabis industry can bring to local jurisdictions, the state, and ultimately to the rest of the country. Okay, let's talk about Nectar Markets. It is the largest chain of dispensaries in Oregon, correct? Yeah, I believe we we have the most active retail licenses at this point. 32 across the entire state as of this recording. Okay, walk me through the history of Nectar. What did it take to open the first one? Yeah, so the, the first one was opened in the medical days of 2014. It was in the Pearl. Then they were able to open a location in uh, Northeast Portland on uh, 122nd and Holiday. It was under the uh, med at that point. Then the second location was uh, on Sandy and 33rd. When they were starting to embody the Green Mile and getting the understanding of how the Luxes work and what the restrictions were, and then ultimately going into positioning for future growth with your rent, you have to have a landlord that's going to approve a cannabis dispenser. And then you go through all of the processes of licensing all the different jurisdictions and authorities throughout the state at a local and ultimately up to the ODA, the OHA, and the OLCC, you know, drives the final decision on what you can and cannot do and your issuance of your license, you know, once you get through all those processes and challenges along the way. Each location is different. If it's in Gresham, there's different things we have to work with in Beaverton, the city of Portland, and they all have their own unique dynamic differences for space, And so we learn, we get in and we have teams that do the due diligence and discovery to make sure that we know what our hours of operation. So a prime example is Hillsborough. We operate in two sets of hours in the the city of Hillsborough. Monday through Thursday, the jurisdiction is allowed to sell cannabis from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we have different hours in different cities, different counties. So that's part of the build out as well on how we you know, get into marketing the store, how we market a new opening, get our employees, train our staff, transfer our staff. So there's a ton of moving parts on this. You must have a tremendous staff. What does it take to be a Nectar Market bud tender? How much training is involved? How long does it take? How comprehensive is that training? Yeah, we have a, we have a training called the Sandbox. When people get through the interviews and we decide we want to proceed with training a new employee, they go through our training center. They have two days of computer policy, POS, product knowledge, compliance, and then they test out. They get their Nectar gear. They get their store assignment. They'll receive their schedule. And then 
you know, we're evolving, you know, day to day. When I went through my training, I had two days and then two days in a store being shadowed and then shadowing. And then we let you loose. You start selling and hanging with the crew and, you know, following all the policies and procedures that, you know, we got to work with Bowley for, you know, breaks. And, you know, so it's all encompassing. What I've experienced since I've been with the company is there was more passion early and as it's grown, it still has a lot of that passion. It has a lot of the previous experience, but it's evolving more into more of a traditional retail setting where it's more comfortable. We do have a fair share of people that consume cannabis, but they haven't worked in the legal cannabis market, but they have a lot of food and beverage. With the shift in food and beverage, we've gotten a lot of great employees from that industry. We just try to keep it moving and just continue to evolve our systems is the most important thing with the growth is attempting to stay in front of just the changes in every respective demographic that we're in because they're all different. That's the fun human side of learning how to communicate and how to send messaging, because that's a challenge. How you successfully send a message to, you know, 300 plus people where it resonates and or is talked about with the acknowledgement that, you know, is the best thing for the whole company. Let's talk about product. With the 32 markets open, that's a fair amount of product. How does a dispensary source that product? Do you enter into exclusive agreements with cultivators? Do some of the cultivators sell to multiple different companies? Walk me through the process. Yeah. So, you know, a a challenge we have with the growth is getting the balance on fulfillment so we can land the same product from vendors that aren't on a white label lines. We have an amazing purchasing team. Johnny Sunquest has been doing this for a long time and he's got just such great rapport and lines of communication with all the growers and all the wholesalers. You know, his team just works on strategizing what's best, what's moving, what's not. As we mature, just building that healthy relationship and transparency with the vendor on what we need, you know, setting our expectation on what the fulfillment needs to look like. So we don't send a mixed message or confusion to our customers. So they're coming in and they're getting what they're used to getting as we have the ability to introduce a new line or alter a layout or a setup to fulfill the customer's needs. Does Nectar own any of its own cultivation? Does it own any of its own line? Yeah, we're vertically integrated and we have three active farms right now. We have some proprietary white label lines of of our flower pre-rolls. And we're just launching some of our own edible lines as well, cartridges. So yeah, it's exciting because we're, you know, vertically integrated seed to sale. So we're in a good position to also do a lot of stuff internally and roll it out back to the retail settings throughout the state. So what makes Nectar so successful that you can scale out this quickly? The law passed in Oregon seven years ago. It really didn't get up and running for about 18 months after that. This is tremendous growth in that amount of time. So what is the key to Nectar's success? Talking about growth and networking with those that have done similar scale and staying true to our principles, taking every opening and always looking for more improvement internally with our vendors, you know, with the cities with the inspectors to make it as smooth a transition for every facet along the way. It's a challenge. This has been a real crazy growth spurt. And we've learned a lot. We look back at every opening and say, okay, we did this really well, but we got to tweak that. And maybe next time we got to do that. 
So we're actively collaborating in growing professionally internally at Nectar to make the openings as smooth and seamless. If for the first two, three weeks, you're just going to have an awesome experience in, in an attempt to blow the customer away with something that, that you don't get. Everywhere. How do you create that brand loyalty to Nectar? Is it the experience? Is it the product? What keeps these customers coming back? I think it's engagement. I think it's our staff finding sincere engagement with people, being there to support them, being there to direct them, being a product knowledge specialist, if that's what somebody's want, or if somebody knows what they want, getting them in and out and saying thanks and, you know, resonating comfort and value, bring value to the customer and build off of that. We're big on customer service. We like to high five our customers. We like to get to know them. We like to know what they're doing. I think a lot of it's because we all have, you know, diverse retail experience. It's like coming together where it's more comfortable for me. So it's, it's exciting. That's the excitement we get when we open a store and just see people come in and go, whoa, it, it feels good. What have you modeled your growth after? With the industry so young and few examples within the industry, I have to assume that you look outside of the cannabis industry to look at successful models and what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And, 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 you know, every day we're learning from that because we're in such a dynamic environment right now, you know, with all the supply chain getting ahead of the pandemic. And then are we going to fall back into it? How that shapes our growth, how that shapes the, the changes we make, most importantly for our staff and customers to continue to feel comfortable with their experience. We research everything. We support our competitors. And as an industry, we're maturing and we're all starting to network properly, which is really powerful. It's going to help us see what went wrong and then make those changes and then dive into the things we did right and that we're doing better than any other state right now. And with the OCA, I have a lot of fun sitting in on those leadership meetings. We're talking about this every day as a group. And I think it's a really powerful transition that's going to help the stigma. It's going to help with better education. It's going to help with banking solutions. Uh, it's going to help with safety and security. You know, those are really important things. With cannabis still being a federally scheduled one controlled substance, we talk a lot about a lack of traditional banking options. So how difficult has that been during this growth process for you guys? Well, it's, I mean, it's it's always a challenge. Fortunately, there are a couple banking solutions that are state approved through credit unions. A lot of the industry is able to bank at an approved state level, which allows for paychecks, allows for direct depositing. So that's part of the growth. There's a number of bills at the state level and federally to ultimately find a sound banking solution for the whole nation. It has not gotten to the finish line yet. But it's, it's moving. That's part of the growth and the transition into a more mature market. And a lot of us are pushing to get to the finish line because it'll help the whole industry. It'll help the taxes. It'll be just more transparent. And I think it'll help further normalize. Without that traditional banking, dispensaries are forced to be a cash-only business. And that paints a dangerous target on them. If we see federal reform or the passage of the Safe Banking Act, how much is that going to help you guys from a safety and security standpoint? Oh, it's the game changer, hands down. 
Hands down. There's no question about it. We have enough metrics and statistics to show it'll transition to card transactions. The cash output is going to be low. There's going to be customers that are always going to pay cash out of that fear, that background fear, and that's fine. But it's going to be the best thing when we get this to the finish, most definitely. And with the 280E tax code, that prevents you from deducting certain business expenses. And that sheer cost of security measures that you have in place is just another thing that contributes to smaller and smaller profit margins. Besides the tax burden itself from federal, state, and local jurisdictions, that has to be really difficult right now. Yeah, it is. And I think there's a lot of confusion. What people will see as a busy location there's an assumption, you know, and we experience this in, in restaurants too. Busy restaurant area assumes you're just printing money and dropping 25% to the bottom line. And that's not the truth in either industry. You have to find the ways in which you can keep those credits alive and learn more every day because it's always changing. That's the thing. Things are just continually evolving. So we got to make sure that we're ahead of and current with those changes that are presented to the industry. And I know it's not like you don't want to pay that tax and you understand that being a new industry, the tax burden is going to be a little difficult to begin with. You're just looking for some relief just so that you can have a stable foundation that you can, again, build upon. Yeah, I mean, it makes it easier for our accounting team to be in a traditional accounting model not one that's still evolving, but we have a great team that does their homework and stays ahead of things. And we work with the laws and the regulations that present to us. We continue to be able to grow. It's, it's going to continue to change and it's going to continue to evolve. And it's our responsibility as a company to, to stay up on those and to be present and to be active for the growth of the industry because we know what, it, what it's bringing to the state of Oregon. We know what it's bringing to Portland and Eugene, the coast, we're a pretty compassionate and passion-driven industry. Let's talk about normalization. Out there, there's still 47% that voted against recreational cannabis. And there's still legislators down in Salem that are still very apprehensive about the industry. What do you think it will take to normalize cannabis like the wine or craft beer industries? Is it just going to take time? It's, it's an evolution. It's going to take more time. It's our responsibility as the industry to be very transparent on all the measures, all the activity we have with our Chamber of Commerce all throughout the state, all that we're involved with in local communities, all that the cannabis revenue is bringing to said communities, and most importantly, proper educational platforms for adults and children to understand that you have a choice. Like to your point, what's the difference between cannabis and the grapes that are grown in Southern Oregon? What is more dangerous? How are communities being affected by a cannabis consumer versus somebody that drank two bottles of wine? So I think a lot of it is finding the maturity as an industry and sticking to what we believe in. Do you believe that normalization will accelerate once we see federal reform? I don't really know at this point, to be quite frank. I, I would have to assume it does, but we're in challenging times. People are not as rational as we were a couple of years ago. You know it. 
I've seen it, you know? So I think if we can just kind of get back to the simple core values and principles and outcomes we want, I think we have an opportunity to better inform people. And I think a lot of it is just being transparent. And when you get challenged, you know, like ask someone, well, why do you think it's bad? And they're like, well, I don't know. And you're like, okay. After speaking with Megan Wallstatter at the Oregon Cannabis Association, I know that's what she wants to normalize it so it can be held up as a pinnacle of what Oregon can offer the industry, either nationally or globally, when those markets open up. You know, to tie on to your point, we've talked a lot about this, you know, in the different organizations. And a lot of it is us delivering a safe, compliant, consistent message. And to show that we're unifying as an industry to back your point, all the additional jobs all the additional sectors within the cannabis industry. It can be very powerful. By getting more of that employment and opportunity, that naturally allows for normalization because more people are employed and live day to day from being in the cannabis industry as opposed to food and beverage or tech. But it feels like outside of those circles, that's where the disconnect may still lie. Everybody has a personal story as to what makes up their opinion of cannabis. But it seems like many of those stories are fear-based. And a lot of those fears have been proven unfounded over the last seven years. But that fear continues to impact people's opinion. I, I think you you hit on something earlier because we talk about it a lot internally at Nectar. It's it's. People need to hear the stories. I would love an opportunity to tell people what it was like to live in the Applegate Valley when I was 19 and 20, what it was like to move back in 2014 and seeing what had happened in a 16-year period. I think it's it takes time. It's just similar to you know alcohol. There's a parallel. People are always going to be yes or no on drinking, and that's okay. And it's going to be the same with cannabis. I think once we can grab onto that, I think we can tell a better story and help with the normalization. In your opinion, what has Oregon done right? Grow. It's becoming a more mature industry with better business practices, better communication with the legislator, with local representation. I really feel that we're moving in the right direction. And I think we have an opportunity to realize that this isn't a grab. It's a play. We got to sprint at times, but this is this is a marathon. This is this is going to be a long run to get it to ultimately what you, myself, Megan, Bo, Hunter, and Orgrom, Jeremy and Jeff, the owners of Nectar, want. Not just for Oregon, but for California, for Ohio, for Michigan. You know, ultimately, as we get more mature, we'll be communicating with other states at a stronger level. Hopefully, getting to your point earlier that we can get a functional interstate commerce bill and let everybody know that we do grow the best weed in the country in order. Because we, as you know, as you already alluded to, we take a lot of pride in saying it. Now on that flip side, what are the biggest challenges that you still feel need to be addressed? I think it's the biggest challenge is that all of us in the industry align, that we communicate, that we voice our differences and opinions to hear our own stories of what's allowed us to grow, or if we're at a stall period, what we have to do during that stall. Another big challenge is employment. Everybody's been struggling with it, the whole industry. 
finding better programs and better systems and better tools for our nectarines, as we like to call them, that they do see opportunity and that they do see growth professionally, personally, financially. You know, at the end of the day, we all want more. And that's what we want to have, people that want more. And we want to do it right for all avenues, for the vendor, for the growers, you know, for the truck drivers, for our staff and our customers, where it's safe and fun and compliant. And people aren't like, oh, no, Jeff Sessions is going to come get me. We're like, Jeff Sessions is out, man. He went bye-bye. We're good. Where do you think this industry's headed? What is your vision here in Oregon and then nationally and, and even globally? Well, it it gets back to what you spoke about in regards to Megan's company. It's kind of like what happened with beer in the late 80s here. Okay, we had a couple brewers started popping off, started their little assistants, started forming their own breweries. And we had this really dynamic craft scene. And then it was everywhere. And I think we have the ability to show the same thing, that we have a very dynamic craft, boutique, cannabis sector we have large producers that can support markets that can't grow because they don't have water and have an indoor grow in Nevada. It just costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we can properly support and export what we've been doing here in the state of Oregon for a very long time and do it legally and pass all the taxes along the way and show what this money does for schools, for police officers, for firefighters. For our local representatives, it's a big picture. And if we can start selling and sharing that vision, I think it helps with all those stigmas and challenges of normalization. At the end of the day, you got a decision. You consume cannabis or you don't. You work in the cannabis industry and don't consume. Cool. Because it's a big sector. It's a big employer. And it brings a lot to every state in the country. You know, big picture down the line. I think it's pretty cool. We got a lot of work to do. I'll tell you that much. There's a lot of work to be done still. What would you like to make sure our listeners know from the dispensary side, from your view of the industry? You know, it's interesting because a lot of people will comment on like the different style of sale throughout the state. You know, some people are still holding that kind of old med style. Some people have kind of modified open rooms. Some people like us just have big open rooms when we can do it. I think what's important is everybody understand that just feel comfortable when you go to a dispensary. Cops aren't going to arrest you. They're cool. That's the normalization piece that we're talking about. You can go in to somewhere at Coos Bay and just go in and have a good experience. Spend 10 minutes, spend two minutes and get out and go to the beach. You've got a bunch of really sound operators throughout the state that want that experience to be felt for everybody, to be comfortable, not like, oh, uh oh, feeling like it was someone's house in 1997. Got got 35 more minutes, hold on. That's gone, that's gone. As we continue to make it more comfortable and keep the safety, we can make it happen as a group and as a bunch of Oregonians that know what we believe in. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us and thanks everybody. And thank you all the Nectarines and for all your support and keep going. And what's that website again? Uh, Nectar.store. Joe Ruhoff. He is the Director of Retail Operations for Nectar Markets. Again, thank you so much for joining me. No, thanks for having us. We appreciate it and have a good day. Mainstream Media. 
In the coming episodes, we'll take a closer look at other specific sectors in that chain. What's it like to be a cultivator and the challenges it presents? What goes into being a processor who brings edible products to market and will focus on industrial hemp, an industry that has been called transformative to global life? Thanks for listening to Mainstream Weedia on The Coin Podcast Network.